You're listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Fellowship Baptist Church is located in Clark Lake, Michigan. Today's message is part of our Adult Sunday School series. Adult Sunday School is taught by a variety of different men in our church. Now let's prepare our hearts as our Sunday School teacher brings forth God's truths from His Word today. All right, go ahead and turn your Bibles to Psalms chapter 5. Oh dear. You've got to get this fixed. That is frustrating. Wow. Well, I'm going to take my Bible off. I'm just going to hold my Bible. I'm only going to use it for this first verse, and the rest of it is in my lesson. So we should, I should be okay. All right, Psalms, Psalms chapter 5, verse 8. Notice those first two words in that verse. Psalms chapter 5, verse 8. Lead me, O Lord, in thy righteousness, because of mine enemies. Make thy way straight before my face. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning that we can come into your house and open up your word, Father. What a, what a privilege to have your word, to have all the wisdom and understanding and instruction that is in it, Lord. Forgive us for not availing to our, uh, ourselves to it more often. I pray that you will just help us to learn what you would have us to learn today, Lord. Be with the words that I speak. If there is anything, Lord, that you do not want me to say, help me not to say it, and just guide and direct me, Lord, through this lesson. We just thank you for your love for us and pray this in your precious name. Amen. All right, the topic that I'm probably going to be doing for the next three weeks, obviously I wasn't, I didn't teach last week because my son was, well, I thought my son was going to be in the hospital, but then they ended up releasing him. Praise the Lord. So Aaron filled in for me. I asked him, and he was already prepared. So praise the Lord for that. But the next three weeks, the topic we're probably going to uh, continue on for the next three lessons is going to be the topic of leadership, becoming the leaders God wants us to be. And if you noticed, David's heart there in that first verse that we read said, lead me, O Lord. And what David understood, David was a great leader, wasn't he? All the way from the very beginning, he led the nation of Israel to take down Goliath when nobody else was willing to tackle that. David said, listen, the Lord is my strength. I can do this. David was a great leader all through his, the whole time that he was a king. And one reason that he was such a great leader is because he understood in order for him to lead the way that he needed to, he had to be led by the Lord himself. And so let's just, I'm just going to, I'm just, I'm not going to give the reference. I'm just going to read through a few verses here in Psalms that David just says over and over again. The Lord, lead me, Lord, lead me, Lord. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Lead me in truth and teach me for thou art God for my, of my salvation. On thee I wait all the day. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in the plain path because of my enemies. For thou art my rock and my fortress. Therefore, for thy name's sake, lead me and guide me. Over and over. O, o send out thy light and thy truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me unto thy holy hill and to thy tabernacles. And I have several more here where David just says, Lord, lead me, lead me, lead me, lead me. And that's where we need to be ourselves. If we want to be the leaders that God wants us to be, that first and foremost has to be our heart's desire is, Lord, lead me. The definition of a leader. I believe the best definition 
that we can give for a leader is somebody who has power or influence over another person's life. Okay? Somebody who has power or influence over another person's life. The dictionary defines a leader as one who is a guide or a conductor. Whether we know it or not, every single one of us in this room today is a leader. Every single one of us. Every person, no matter who you are, no matter what you do, holds some kind of leadership position. All of us either have power or influence over another person's life. John C. Maxwell said, a leader is one who knows the way, who goes the way, and who shows the way. You know what God requires of you, you live it out in your life, and you show others how to do it as well. That is a leader. We all have the ability to be leaders through our actions and attitudes. Not only do we have the ability, but we have the responsibility to be leading others in our lives by the way that we live our lives. Our goal in everything that we do should be to lead others towards Christ. Every time somebody looks at us and the way that we live our lives, it should point directly back to Jesus, right? It should point directly back to the Lord. When it comes to leadership, there is, you know, we don't, a lot, a lot of us don't often think of ourselves as leaders, even though we clearly are by definition. But when it does come to leadership, our mind awful tra- often travels to areas that we commonly associate with leadership, like in the church. You know, we have pastor, deacons, youth pastor, choir director, the teachers, the bus workers, the nursery workers, all the helpers in the various ministries of the church. We have the guys who run the sound and media. We're so thankful for them. Amen. We have our treasurers. All those people hold a leadership position, right? And I I thank the Lord so much that Almost everyone in this room is involved in one of those. I'm so thankful that we have a church that is willing to serve. And we have so many people that are willing to put themselves in those positions to be a servant and to lead in one way or another. Praise the Lord for that. And if you're not involved in the ministry, let me just put a plug in there. You should be. We all have a responsibility to get involved in the ministry for the Lord. So if you're not, get involved. All right, so we have our leadership positions in the church. Then we have our leadership positions at home, right? Right up there at number one, top dog, is the crying babies. <laughs> they hold leadership, number one in the home. I wish I could get my kids to listen to me and obey as quickly as we do when Mason's screaming, but that's probably just not going to happen. So right up there at number one is usually crying babies. A close second is the father, okay? So the father comes in under them, and then the mother, and then the children, which usually rank in age, but that's not always the case. You'll see a younger child, right, take a leadership position over the older children, and that's always a blessing when your children take on leadership roles in the home, being good testimonies to their siblings and whatnot. So we have the home as leadership, well, grandparents as well. I don't want to leave out the grandparents. Grandparents are obviously also hold leadership positions. So we have the grandparents. But then we have the leaderships in the workplace, right? We have our owners, we have our CEOs and COOs and a lot of other O's that go underneath that. With a big, with a big corporation, that, that, I mean, the titles are just endless there. So, I mean, smaller business, like I work for, is way easier to keep track. There's like three branches of you know, leadership there. It's way easier, but those big companies can get complicated. All right, so we have our workplace, and then we have our government, right? We have our government leadership, which the president would be right up at the top for that one. We have our government leadership. We have our military leadership. Boom, 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 boom. On and on we could go. All these different ranks of leadership that we have. But 
Again, that is what our mind often travels to. But we have to understand that each one of us have been called by God to play a leadership role in our lives. Whether we are a parent, whether we are a leader in the church, or whether we are just a regular layman that is working and we are to have influence and impact upon other people's life. We have all been called to be a leader in one way or another. Uh, My six-year-old daughter, Elena, praise the Lord, uh, she has... The Lord has given her a strong desire to pray, which is such a blessing, which is such a blessing to she. But she, we, we call her our little prayer warrior. So um, when it comes to, well, I'll, first of all, she reminds me of my mom because almost every time I'm storming through the house trying to find something and I'm so frustrated and I'm asking everybody where it is, she goes, Daddy, did you pray about it? <laughs> And it's so frustrating, yet so convicting at the same time. I'm just like, I can't believe my little six-year-old daughter is telling me to pray. <laughs> That's backwards. <laughs> but it's awesome. I praise the Lord that. I praise, I praise the Lord that she realizes the need for that. So when it comes, like, to the dinner table and everything, it used to be when we asked who wanted to pray, it was only Elena who was like, I want to pray. She was like, me, me, me. Okay, Elena, go ahead and pray. But now that she's done that for so long, when it comes to asking who wants to pray at the dinner table, it's her it's Elena and Avery who are both like, me, 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 I want to pray, I want to pray, I want to pray. And then whoever I choose, the other one gets this scowl on their face and this grumpy look like, I can't believe I can't pray. So anyhow, what happened was Elena was able to be a leader, right, to Avery in that area of prayer. And because of, and because of Elena's leadership in that and her excitement over her wanting to pray, it taught Avery that, you know, I want to pray as well. So Elena had direct influence over Avery's life in that area. She's six years old. So it doesn't matter if you're six or 106. We all have the ability and should be having positive influence over someone else's life and being a leader in that way. The New Testament is chock full with verses that God tell, where God tells us to run our race. I think if we were honest for ourselves, a lot of times we're not running our race like we should be. We're not pressing towards that mark of the high calling of God. Sadly, many Christians, when their race is finished, have not, honestly, I believe they have not, they can't look back and say, I have run my race well. A lot of Christians can't say that. And that's a shame. We should be able to get to the end of our life and think back on everything that we've done and say, I have run my race well. If we want to be able to run the race well that God has given every one of us to run, we've got to learn how to be the leaders God wants us to be. Okay, so what hinders us from being the leaders God wants us to be? And this is what we're going to spend the rest of the time of the lesson on. What hinders us from being the leaders that God wants us to be? Dr. Robert J. Clinton has been the director of leadership since 1981 at the School of Intercultural Studies at Fuller Seminary and has written countless articles and books and commentaries on the topic of Christian leadership. Dr. Clinton, in all of his years of experience, has observed six powerful stumbling blocks that Satan uses to trip us up and keep us from either becoming the leaders that God wants us to be, or once we get placed in those leadership positions, stumbling and falling and failing at those leadership positions. Through all of his years of experience and all these different things that he's observed, he has narrowed it down. Now, obviously, the list could be endless here, but 
he narrowed down to six main ones that the devil uses, six main traps that the devil uses for stumbling us and keeping us from becoming the leaders God wants us to be, or once we are in those leadership positions, falling from those and failing. So, number one is the stumbling block of finances. The stumbling block of finances, money. I'm not going to read the story, but we all know about the account of the rich young ruler, right, when he came to Jesus and he said, you know, how can I get eternal life? I've done all these things, blah, blah, blah. You know, and it came down to Jesus wanted him to give his all to Christ. The, most, the thing that was the most important to him, he had to be willing to give that up, which was his money and his possessions, right? And he was not willing to give that up for eternal life. He was not willing to give his money and his possessions up for eternal life. That shows you the power and the influence that money can have on our life, the negative influence. 1 Timothy 6, 8 through 10 says, And having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. That's what happened to the rich young ruler. He was drowned in destruction because of his lust of money. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while, we, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So there's the, love, there's the love of money, and then there's also the lack of money, right? That can, use, that can be used, us, us stressing over the fact that we don't have the money that we think we need to do something. That can, that can cause lots of problems in our life, us stressing over that and worrying about that. And that can cause us to lose our faith in Christ if we allow that to become our main focus. That can cause us to lose our faith in Christ and hinder us from being the leaders God wants us to be. Money, even though it is a necessary worldly possession, should never be elevated to the priority that a lot of us make it all the time. We're all guilty of this. We just, it's what we do. We elevate money to a position in our lives that it should not be. Everybody in this room is guilty of that. There's nobody in here that hasn't done that. We all do that. A lot of, t- a lot of times, more often than not, we do that. Since money is a necessary part of life, we need to learn how to manage it according to God's principles. Amen? We need to learn how to manage our money according to God's principles. Oftentimes, <clears throat> the reason that we lack the money that we need in life is because of mismanagement of our finances. Is the reason that we lack the finances that we need is mismanage of it. Big fat money management principle number one is what? Our tithe. 10% right off the top goes to God. And I believe that many people are having financial problems because they're not tithing their 10% to God. And a lot of people believe, and I've seen this in my own life, I've had conversations with people, they believe that they can't afford to tithe, right? Well, the argument there is, if you can't afford to tithe, you're the one that needs to be tithing more than anybody else, right? If you literally don't have the money to tithe, you should be the one that should be motivated to tithe anywhere else because that's the only thing in Scripture that God asked us to test him on is our tithes and our offerings and to see if he'll not open up the windows of heaven and pour us out a blessing. The only area he has to test us in. So <clears throat> if you're not tithing because you think you can't afford to tithe, you are the one that needs to be tithing more than anybody else. We all need to be tithing. I shouldn't say more than anybody else, but it would be more beneficial to you to tithe. All right. 
Number two, the stumbling block of power or control. The stumbling block of power or control. Proverbs 16.9 says, A man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. As, as we as people come up with different ways and ideas on how to control all the different things and areas in our own life. But what we need to realize is, listen, no matter what ideas we have, no matter how we think things are going to work out, who's the one who is ultimately in control? It's the Lord. He's the one who is ultimately in control. Now, God gives us a free will, which is a huge bummer sometimes, but God gives us a free will to make the choices that we want to make. A lot of times, when we make wrong choices, the outcome of those choices, what have we done in our mind? We have, a, we have come up in our mind with the way that our choices are going to end up in the long run, which is why we make those choices. But they're the wrong choices, okay? So just because, we, just because we imagined our choices to work out one way doesn't mean they're going to work out that way, right? The Lord is the one who's in control. And because we, even though we make bad choices, the Lord still steps in and a lot of times graciously redirects us back to himself through those bad choices. Praise the Lord he does that. Praise the Lord he doesn't be like, oh, you made a bad choice? You're stuck there for the rest of your life. You know, praise the Lord he gives us an avenue always to come back. So he's always trying to direct us back to himself. All of us by nature in our flesh have the natural desire to be in control of our own lives. We want the power to decide what, what we will and will not do. And we definitely see this, especially in the case of teenagers' life, right? The attitude of, you're not going to tell me what to do. I'm going to make my own decisions. Or, I'm going to make my, you have to let me make my own mistakes. I never got that. I never understood why they really believe that you have, I mean, you know they're called mistakes for a reason, right? Because they're a mistake. It's something you want to avoid. You don't want to make that decision because it's bad, right? This way's bad. This way's good. Why would you want to make your own mistakes and have the consequences from them? It doesn't make sense, right? But, so we often get frustrated and hurt that our kids a lot of times are making the wrong choices where we know are going to lead down the path of destruction and the consequences that are going to come from those decisions. But let us consider ourselves. What about us? How often are we the exact same way when not heeding the warnings and instruction of Scripture? We hear the instruction, we read it, our Heavenly Father shows it to us, and we say, nope. I got a different plan. I got a different way I want to do things, God. I think I'm going to go this way. You know? Foolish. It's just foolishness. But we're all guilty of doing that. We want to have power and control over our own lives. Our natural desire to be in control is a strong one. And we can't do as the world tells us and just follow our heart, right? Because <laughs> it is deceitfully wicked and will most always lead us down the wrong path. We have to instead submit our will and submit our heart to God and have the same attitude like Jesus Christ had towards his father when he was going toward the cross. Not my will, but thine be done, right? Not my will, but thine be done. All right, number three. The big fat one. The stumbling block of pride. Mm. The pride of life that runs deep inside of every one of us. The stumbling block of pride. 
The dictionary definition of pride is excessive self-esteem, an unreasonable self-formed idea of one's own superiority and talents, one's own beauty, wealth, accomplishments, rank, or elevation in office, which manifests itself in lofty airs. It often, it often results in contempt of others. Romans 12.3 says, For I say, through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think, what? Soberly, according as God hath dealt with every man the measure of faith. If we are ever going to become the leaders, God wants us to be using the wording that is in that verse, we have to stop being drunk with our own pride. We are intoxicated with ourselves. And it causes nothing but destruction. And it totally and completely hinders us from being able to be good, strong leaders. Nobody wants to follow after a prideful person. Nobody. If you want to be a good leader, you have to be humble, not proud. We have to realize an overwhelming amount of problems that we need God to fix in our lives, and we are not capable of doing anything outside of his help. This involves us having a realistic and honest view of how flawed we really are. It is realizing, it is realizing apart from God, we are nothing. Every breath, every ounce of strength that we have in our bodies is a gift from God, right? Right, okay. So, with that in consideration, that means everything that we do is enabled, to, is enabled us by who? By God. So how can we really honestly believe or say that we could get credit for anything that we do when God literally is the one who has given us the ability in everything? Do we know this? Yes. Do we live this way? No. So, this is just a reminder. We need to remember who enables us to do everything that we can do. It is God. It is him who is to get all the honor and glory. We should never be lifted up with pride for anything that we can do. When pride is leading your life, destruction is not far behind. Proverbs 16:18 says, Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs 29, 23, a man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. So when we are prideful, the truth is it has the exact opposite effect that we're trying to accomplish through our pride, right? Pride will bring us low. We're trying to lift ourselves up, right? But no, God says if you're prideful, it's going to bring you low. So let's just use some wisdom there and be like, well, we don't want to do that. <laughs> Let's just humble ourselves before God and, and just realize that all ability comes from him. All right, number four, the stumbling block of sexual temptation. And this is a big one today. The stumbling block of sexual temptation. 2 Timothy 2.22 says, Flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. I believe nothing will cause a leader to fall harder and faster than the sin of sexual immorality. 
A leader who is found or caught in this sin often is never able to recover his testimony from it. Right? They're never able to recover from that. It forever tarnishes their testimony and their effectiveness for the Lord as a leader. Unfortunately, it is sad to see today all the leaders, yes, in the world, you know, we hear about all these cases and all these women coming out over this last so many time of all these women who have been sexually abused by all these men. You know, that's been going on for a while now, and yes, that's, that, that is a shame. Um, but I would suspect that from the world. That's the way the world is. But this is happening inside of our churches, okay? This is happening inside of our colleges, our universities, where good men that have been esteemed and lifted up and looked to for leadership are, following to, are falling to the sin of sexual immorality. We lived in an unshamed, in-your-face, pornographic society. I couldn't believe this when I saw this the other day, and I don't know if my, I know my dad just talked about this a couple weeks ago and, you know, all these statistics and stuff, all these statistics and stuff, but I saw this one today and I just couldn't, I couldn't believe it, and I don't know if he said this or not, but 48%, almost 50% of all kindergarten and first grade students have already been exposed to pornography. Kindergarten and first grade students, 50% of them have already been exposed to pornography. Now, that's unbelievable. And that just shows that there, it's, it, it's, it's everywhere. There's, there's no escaping it, guys. There's no, it's, it's everywhere. It's pervasive. You, 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 just, you just can't escape it. There used to be a time, there used to be a time when you could, if you tried, you could protect yourself from that pretty much for the most part. And you could protect your kids from that for the most part. I remember as a child growing up that the most um, influence that I had towards immodest women would be when I went to the grocery store with my mom. And my mom and dad preached at me every time I went to the grocery store, don't look at the magazines in the aisle. Look down, look away, look behind you. And that's just how I was raised because that was pretty much back then I could be protected in every other way, but that was the one way when I went to the grocery store that I could not be protected from, right? Well, that is the least of our worries anymore. The grocery store is the least of our worries. I mean, we have cell phones, tablets, magazines, billboards, computers, and obviously the biggest of them all, cell phones. We have movies, television. <sighs> the temptations are not going away. So we have to learn how to deal with them. We, they're getting more pervasive every day. We have to learn how to deal with them, and we have to teach our kids how to deal with these temptations. Amen? Amen. Okay? I didn't have to be taught by my father as much how to deal with these temptations growing up because they just weren't there like they are today. Unfortunately, we've got to teach our kids younger today than, we, than they used to be how to deal with these temptations, that they're going to come, how to deal with them according to God's law, and the destruction that will take place if we ever give in to these temptations, and yada. It's so heartbreaking that Younger and younger, we have to inform our kids about these things. It's just, it's unbelievable. It's just, it's horrible. I hate it, but it's just where we are today as a society. So we have to protect ourselves against these temptations, and we have to teach our kids and protect them against these temptations as well. <sighs> the temptation itself is not a sin, but when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth what? It bringeth forth sin. So, 
First, we need to do everything we can to avoid these temptations. Number one, control what you allow into your own home, parents. Control what you allow into your own home. We can't control what's going on out there in the world, but what we can control is what we allow into our own homes. I will tell you that many of the things that come across a lot of our televisions are completely offensive to a holy God. Absolutely, 100%. And it is ruining our children. We don't look at it that way, but it is. A lot of the things that we allow across our television is offensive to God. We have to control what comes into our home. We can have control over that, okay? We can decide what will be viewed on TV, what will be viewed on movies, yada, yada, so on and so forth. We, ha- we still have control over what goes on in our own home. So take control. Number two, how to avoid this temptation is have accountability. It is so important to have accountability, especially if you struggle in this area. Okay? They make this thing that Pastor has talked about before, this program that's called Covenant Eyes. Okay? You can put that on all of your devices. You can put it on your tablets. You can put it on your cell phones. You can put it on your computers. That's on every one of my devices, and it records to Julia everywhere that I go. So have an accountability part. If you do not have something like that, I strongly, strongly, strongly encourage you to get that because we cannot trust ourselves. Don't ever think that you're strong enough to avoid a temptation every time. So have accountability. Number three, avoid, to avoid these temptations, just avoid as much as possible going to places where these temptations are going to be greater. Okay? Again, that's assuming that you're not going to be tempted, that you're going to be strong enough to, with, to, to take these temptations that they're not going to affect you like they'd affect other people. Well, don't be, don't be naive. Okay? Don't be ignorant. All right? Proverbs talks about that over and over again. Avoid going to places where these temptations are going to be greater. When the temptation comes, doesn't, ne- doesn't mean that it's sin just because you're tempted, right? When lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. So when the temptation comes, we should be ready to handle that temptation. A couple things that the Lord gave me here that we should do would be sing songs. Sing songs, hymns, and spiritual songs, right? What did David do before Saul when those evil spirits bothered him? He played godly music, right? Satan hates godly music. He hates it. He despises it because of its effectiveness, okay? So, sing songs, hymns, and spiritual songs, right? Quote Bible verses. Quote Bible verses back to Satan. I guarantee you, probably the only thing he hates more than spiritual songs is the Word of God. So if you start quoting Bible verses, he's probably definitely going to leave you alone. Third, and this one we should probably do first, is rebuke the devil in Jesus' name. Amen? If we rebuke, if we rebuke Satan, what does he have to do? He has to flee. He has to. He doesn't really have a choice. So that's what God said. If we rebuke the devil in Jesus' name, he has to flee. Now, he might be back shortly, right? He might be back real shortly. But for the time being, he has to flee. So be ready ready to rebuke him over and over again as many times as you have to. Rebuke the devil and he will flee. If we do these three things, we are almost guaranteed to distinguish that temptation in our lives. The temptation of sexual immorality, such, such a powerful one these days. We've got to be prepared to face that temptation and already have purposed in our heart before it even comes that we're going to say no, that we're going to turn away from it. And teach our kids about it. Man, that's one, that one's so important. Don't just think they're going to learn it on their own, parents. That's where we get into trouble.
Number five, the stumbling block. Oh, my goodness. Tom is getting away. All right, we're going to zip through these last couple ones, which is a bummer because that last one is really long. We're going to have to leave out a lot of those points. All right, number five, the stumbling block of family issues. If there's something not right between you and your spouse or you and your kids at home, it can adversely affect your ability to be a good leader. 2 Timothy 3, 4 speaks to this when it says a bishop must know how to rule his own house well. When it comes to the relationship issues in the home, and especially those between a husband and wife, I believe there is no relational issue that will affect your spirit and your ability to lead greater than the relationship between, well, obviously the Lord, but as far as like earthly relationships between you and your wife. And I believe that is because the Bible says that when we are joined together in holy matrimony, the two become one, right? So the two become one flesh. So if she's got a problem, you've got a problem. You may not want to face it, but if she's got a problem, you've got a problem. And if you've got a problem, she's got a problem. So in order for you guys to be problem-free, you both have to be joined together, right? You both have to agree and have that oneness of spirit restored. When that oneness in your marriage is broken, it totally affects your spirit, it affects your walk with the Lord, and it definitely affects your ability to be the leader God wants you to be. So much more I have on that, but that's it for that one. We're going to go to number six, which is the last one, the stumbling block of loss of spiritual momentum. Loss of spiritual momentum. This is allowing ourselves to get in a position of, growing, of not growing spiritually like we should or even moving backwards in our spiritual life. A good leader is always trying to make themselves better. They are always trying to improve. Now, there's lots of different reasons why we lose spiritual momentum in our lives. Lots of different reasons. But the Lord led me to five different ones on why we lose spiritual momentum in our life, why we stop moving forward in our spiritual lives and sometimes even start, move, start moving backwards. Number one, we lose spiritual momentum because of unconfessed sin. Now, that's a pretty obvious one, right? We lose spiritual momentum because of unconfessed sin, that broken relationship between us and the Lord. Psalms 68, 18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. So unconfessed sin. We lose spiritual momentum because of an abundance of material possessions. We talked a little bit about this when we talked about the money, right? Because of an abundance of material possessions. Jesus Christ said, It is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. That's that same story with the rich young ruler there. But Jesus said, Listen, it is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle, which is impossible, than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. The principle here is that when we become too rich with material possessions, that we tend to forget that we need God. And how guilty are we of doing that in America, right? We are so blessed as a nation that we have forgotten God. We have become so-called self-sufficient. We can rely on ourselves to sustain ourselves. We don't need God anymore. And now we live in, you know... Tons of atheists that are all over around trying to spread their doctrine that God doesn't even exist. You know, there's America, which because of their material possessions, I think is a great reason why we have forgotten God. But then you think of the Philippines, right? Look at the Philippines in their great poverty. I don't think there's a, no, a more fruitful mission field in the world right now than there is in the Philippines. 
They realize in their deep poverty that they need God. You know what? Maybe that's what we need here in America as well. Maybe that's where God's going to have to bring us, is, is bring us down to a third world country, you know, bring every one of us to deep poverty before we're going to realize that, hey, we need the Lord. It's on its way, guys. It's on its way. It's coming. God's judgment is coming if we do not turn around. We lose spiritual momentum because we become overly busy. We become too busy for the Lord because we can become overly busy. And, oh, I have, I have the story here where, you know, Jesus comes and Martha's serving and Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus. If you remember that story, and Martha's busy, busy, busy working, but Mary's sitting there listening to the words of Jesus, and Martha's getting all upset and be like, Lord, tell her to help me, you know? And, and Jesus, Jesus says unto her, but one thing is needful, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen the good part which shall not be taken away from her. Now, it is easy for us to do as Martha did and get so busy in the things of this world that we forget to take time for what is truly important. Mary realized that, hey, Jesus isn't always with me. I want to sit here and learn from the master, from Jesus Christ himself, as much as I possibly can while I have the opportunity. Well, Martha, even though she was trying to be a servant, which is good in and of itself, it's awesome to be a servant, you know, there's a point where even in the church you can, be, you can serve too much, right? When it takes, when your priorities get out of line, that's when it's too much. You have to keep your priorities right, which is Jesus Christ first. And that's where Mary was, and that's where we have to be. Don't become too busy for the Lord. That will very much hinder us to become the leaders God wants us to be. All right, and number four out of those fifth ones is we become, we become, we lose our spiritual momentum because we become complacent. This is lukewarm in our Christian lives. We think we are better than we actually are. What does God say? I will spew thee out of my mouth. Nothing is more distasteful to the Lord than a lukewarm Christian. A person that is on fire for the Lord Boom, they're hitting the mark. They know where they are. A person that is cold usually understands that, hey, I'm cold. I'm not where I'm supposed to be, whether it's because they're in rebellion or whatever stage that they're in, that they're, that they're cold. They usually realize that they're not hitting the mark that they should be hitting. But a person that's lukewarm has deceived themselves into thinking that they're hitting the mark when they're miles off. Okay? And a lot of Christians are guilty of doing that. They think, I'm okay. I'm good. I'm doing enough. I'm right where I should be. And they're so far off. Okay, do not become lukewarm. That will very much, do not become complacent. And number five is we lose spiritual momentum because of discouragement. Discouragement. It is so easy to become discouragement, discouraged, and it is never part of God's plan. How are we ever supposed to lead somebody and help them be enthusiastic about the plan that God has for their life when they look at our life and see that we're discouraged about the plan God has for our life? Why would they ever want to follow the Lord if we're all discouraged following the Lord? That's like, we don't, that's working backwards. That's going to greatly hinder us from being the leaders and leading others towards Christ like we talked about that we want to do. So discouragement and I have so much more about all those points that I wish I could share. But that is it for today. So just to recap, there's finances, power, of, power or control, pride, sexual temptation, family issues, loss of spiritual momentum. We need to be careful to guard ourselves against these six things that this man, that I can't remember his name was, but anyhow, this professor that said these are the six greatest things that he's seen. We need to be careful to protect ourselves against this so that we can be the leaders that God wants us to be to our children our influence to the world around us, in the church, in our jobs, whatever, wherever God has placed us. Let's do our best to protect ourselves against these things. We can be the leader God has called us all to be. Let's pray.
You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you would like more messages, visit our website at fbcclarklake.org, where all of our messages can be downloaded for free. Also, you can subscribe to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All of our messages are available for free. If you want to keep up to date on what's going on at Fellowship, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, where you can see what's happening happening at Fellowship Baptist Church. If you'd like to visit us, Fellowship Baptist Church is located at 3200 Reed Road, Clark Lake, Michigan. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back here again next time.